and open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, we're going to have a short uh, Christmas series we're going to call The Wonder of Emmanuel. And today looking at the impact of Emmanuel coming, Isaiah 49, 1. Isaiah 49, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. Listen to me, O coastlands, give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain, have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised and poured by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in the time of favor I have answered you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by strings of water will guide them. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we have your word this morning. We're glad that Jesus is the living word, incarnate, God made incarnate, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully human. So, Father, as we contemplate the wonder of Emmanuel over the coming weeks, we pray uh, that you might help us understand what it is you've done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, how that applies to the way you would have us to live in this world today. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A quick survey of the week's news perhaps bears out why we need Christmas in 2021. You know, the Michigan school shooting, the Christmas parade in Wisconsin, the death of a Georgia police officer in Clayton County, the rash of smash and grab robberies across our nation, the new Omicron COVID-19 variant, inflation. I don't know if you notice gas prices are up, grocery prices are up. And then this, a blizzard warning this weekend in Alaska and in Hawaii, that's right, Uh, up to a foot of snow and 100 mile an hour winds in the mountains of Hawaii. Wow. All right. Merry Christmas, anyone. Um, How do we respond? I mean, how do we engage this world? Uh, My answer is... You think I'm going to say Jesus, don't you? Because that's always the answer, but that's not the answer today, all right? The answer today is Christmas, which is about Jesus, of course. Um, But Christmas should take our thoughts in two places. Uh, 
First, it should take us directly to the wonder of that night so long ago uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, for us as believers, our hearts are more than just warmed by the scene of the stable. Our, our joy wells up as we express our, our hope by singing about the incarnation, the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. And of course, second Christmas means we should anticipate Jesus coming again. Indeed, he said, behold, I am coming soon. And so what happens is the incarnation is God invading what Satan thinks of as his turf, as his world. The incarnation is God becoming flesh. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is fully God and he's fully human. They're not mixed up. In order to be the Savior, he had to be both who could save us from our sins. So you want to see that the incarnation is God's methodology in doing ministry. And as such, it really serves as a pattern for us as his people for how it is uh, we are to, uh, to, to live uh, and follow him as we minister in this world that's imprisoned by sin. Watching how Jesus lived, how he carried out his calling, how he lives out the incarnation reminds us Christmas is not just something that we're to celebrate December 25th, um, but rather it's, it's really the way we're to live 365 days a year. Uh, one preliminary matter to note is that this is, a, uh, uh, in this passage, this is the passage that the Jews would use to say all this chapter and the following chapters are about the nation of Israel rather than about an individual, about Messiah. Uh, and so we'll, we'll note several things as we move through the passage to show why we believe that this refers to the individual. Most obvious is that in verse uh, 5, uh, the servant has a ministry to Israel. So how could it be Israel? So I would also point out the you here is singular. It's not you all. It's not all y'all. It's not even you ones. Okay? It's singular. Um, so with that in mind, Let's go to the text and see what the Christmas impact of the incarnation, God with us, is about. First is that the Christmas impact we see in the call to incarnation. Verse 1, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Now, if you were reading through Isaiah, you would notice this is a change in audience from chapter 48. Uh, in 48, the speaker's speaking to Israel. Here, he's not just addressing Israel. He's addressing the whole world. He speaks of the coastlands, and that's us. Uh, in, in Isaiah and in the Psalms, we live in the coastlands. Sometimes your Bible might translate it as the islands. And so who's the speaker? Well, it's, it's a me. He says that here, uses that word. Uh, a singular claim that he's been called by the Lord. Uh, when was he called? It says, before he was born. And the grammar is emphatic. A little translation would be, the Lord from the loins of my mother has called me. His point is going to be that the right of the servant of God to speak uh, when he comes is because God's call's been on him since his conception. A more literal translation, the final line is that he has caused my name to be remembered. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's because the servant's name speaks to his calling. 
He is Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah calls him the branch. He's a descendant of David. He's called Jesus, Yeshua, meaning salvation. He's called to live out that name and save his people from their sins. In the same way, our calling comes from God. And in the name given to us, which is Christian. What does Christian mean? It just means little Christ. If you will, we're little messiahs through whom Jesus carries out his ministry to the ends of the earth. So what's the impact of Emmanuel then? The word made flesh, or what we sometimes call the incarnate word. Uh, Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. What I want to stress there is, is simply that first line. Uh, the it's about the power of the Word of God. God's Word is like a sharp sword. Paul picks up on that in the New Testament. Uh, now, we know that Jesus is the creator of the universe and that the, by the power of His Word, He spoke the universe into being. Uh, he, he simply spoke us into existence. Later, of course, in Isaiah 55, 11, He'll tell us that, that God, when God's Word is complete, uh, proclaimed, it, uh, it does not return without its impact, but always accomplishes the purposes for which God sent it out. And then he says in verse 3, and he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. All right, now the, the servant is called Israel here. And this is why the Jews claim this verse and all the chapters that follow, including chapter 53, refer to the nation and not to an individual. And to be sure, it's an, it's an unusual way to refer to Messiah, uh, undoubtedly. But keep in mind what Israel means. And we've, we've talked about this before. The traditional translation is that Israel means he struggles with God, because that was then given to Jacob. And Jacob, indeed, to be sure, he did struggle with God. But I've said before, this is not the best translation. There are 40 other Old Testament names that have El, E-L, which means God, in them. And in all 40 other situations, when you translate the name, God is the subject. For instance, Samuel. We always say, God hears, not he heard God. Or Daniel. Uh, we say, God judges, not he judges God. Uh, and so, to be consistent with all those other cases... Uh, that would mean we should translate this with God as the subject. With Israel, then God wins. God wins the struggle uh, would be the the title there. Uh, And indeed, God's Messiah does win. He does win. So it's it's a good name for Messiah. And so keep in mind, whenever we read and study the Bible, God's Word uh, always describes to us God's character, uh, God's mind, God's motivation, God's will for us, uh, and, and uh, by, by coming as the, the, the living word, Jesus in the flesh fully displays God's character. Jesus displays the mind of God. Jesus displays the motivation of God. He displays the will of God, the power of God, the might of God, the love of God. Jesus as Messiah is the one whom God has glorified. 
Hebrews tells us he's the exact representation of, of God's being. So the little interpretation here would be, uh, in whom I show my glory, or in whom I will glorify myself. So this verse is a, a great reminder of what Christmas, or if you will, the incarnation or redemption does. It glorifies the Father by showing us his heart. Remember the great passage in uh, Philippians 2, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, now, if you remember the context of those verses in Philippians, they are to specifically show Jesus' humble servant character that glorifies the Father, which hardly describes Israel as a nation, by the way. So by telling us that the coming one is a servant, who will display God's glory. God's showing us what is, what's love is really like. Uh, it's living in such a way that, that people see and glorify our Father in heaven. And this requires a servant mindset to shape the way we think, to shape our words, shape our actions, and a mindset that sometimes might be hard to always maintain. For instance, when I stop at Ingalls, generally I'm thinking, how quickly can I get in and out and get all the items on that list, not forgetting one, all right? Don't want, don't want to do that. Um, uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a mission, got my list, you know, check it twice and leave. All right, uh, but, but Jesus' approach would be a little different. Jesus would look for ways uh, to serve the people he encounters. So really what I should be thinking when I go into Ingalls is not how quickly can I get out the door, but how can I serve the people here during the visit? So if you go to El Sombrero or you go to, to, to Chick-fil-A, um, the question is how can I serve the servers, all right? When I go to school, how do I serve the other students or, how, or the teachers? When I go to work, how do I serve my, my boss? How do I serve my employees? How do I serve my coworkers? How do I serve my neighbor next door? And, and see, we can have that mindset uh, because verse 4 helps us keep on with that. Notice what it says. But I said, Messiah speaking here, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. In the first part of that verse we get a glimpse of the rejection that Jesus will face in his ministry. Now, you see, we think if, if, um, if we, we will succeed and we'll be loved by everybody, um, if, if we incarnate the servant mentality that Jesus had, well, that would just be the greatest thing. And if we think that's what's going to happen, we need to think again. God's prophets across the centuries were hardly the most popular people. Uh, and if people rejected Jesus, we're not to be surprised that they would reject us. But see, we've got to remember our goal is not to please people. It's not to impress people. But it's to glorify our Father in heaven. And so the second part of this verse reminds us that that ministry is not about how this world responds to us. It's not about how the world regards us. It's about our serving God. And then we look to him for vindication, for that word recompense, for reward. And so 
our being on the side of triumph, of course, is sure no matter what, which leads us to contemplate then the, the triumph of the incarnation. Look at verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. My salvation may reach to the end of the earth. All right, in verse 5, and we know for Paul says early on in Romans, what? The gospel's for the Jews first. And then it's for everybody else. But they get it first. And note again that it's, it's a reminder here. The servant is one God has especially prepared in the womb and given a name. That was what was told to Mary, you'll recall. And now God honors him and acknowledges he will him, uh, his ministry, and that God is his strength. He will really people God has among the Jews. But quite frankly, God, in fact, that, that sort of thinking is, makes, makes God too small, all right? Um, it's too small of a view of the power of the gospel. Instead, where Old Testament Israel failed as a missionary to all the nations, this will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The very ones who are the audience, according to verse 1, back in the coastlands. Remember the darkness that's described at the beginning of Isaiah 9, uh, that permeates the whole world, and light is needed. Well, this coming servant is the light. Indeed, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. So this verse raises for us limitless possibilities for the expansion and proclamation of the gospel. Because Jesus is for all the nations of the earth. Now, we know that in his first coming, all the nations did not hear the gospel. Uh, we also know from the book of Acts uh, that as the church, we're the instruments through whom Jesus continues his earthly ministry to carry out that gospel within the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We often speak of Emmanuel, the Emmanuel principle, God with us. And that's what enables us, that's what empowers us for ministry such that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. The gospel succeeds. The gospel triumphs. And verse 7 gives the assurance. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and rise. Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. No matter what the reaction of the world to the gospel, ultimately, what he's saying is the gospel triumphs. That's the promise Jesus will succeed in his ministry. And so what Isaiah is showing us here, the wide impact of the gospel triumph. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, to establish the land and to portion the desolate heritages. Uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham 
becomes a person in verse 8. Well, it's what we call an incarnational covenant. I will give you, singular, as a covenant to the peoples. In other words, Jesus not only fulfills the covenant, he is the covenant. And that then unfolds in Isaiah 53 when we get to Jesus and the cross and his death there in his ministry. The result are dramatic changes described in verses 9 and 10. Saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. You'll notice the variety of situations that people find themselves in. Speaking of those who fear, those who are afraid to come out of their, their homes at night in the inner city, perhaps, or in North Korea. The grieving families in Wisconsin and Michigan. Those who thirst for water and those who thirst for the water of life. So what about us? What is the, the Christmas impact for us? I suggest the challenge for us is to have an incarnational ministry uh, if we're to be a church that makes uh, a Christmas impact uh, God, as Emmanuel, God with us. One of the reasons we're, we're studying Luke on Sunday evenings right now is to become certain about the story, to watch how Jesus interacts with people, to watch his humility, his servant mentality, to see his boldness, uh, to watch how he uses scripture, to see the role of prayer, to watch how he gives hope uh, to enlighten to a dark world, uh, to watch how he displays the glory of God. Why? Because it's his pattern of incarnational ministry, of identifying with us and our situation needs, uh, of being a servant, that's a pattern for us to follow. That's why Barnabas and Paul take verse 6 uh, here from Isaiah and apply it to themselves in, in Acts 13. So how do we carry this out to impact the world? It was just a challenge is to, to have what I would call imaginative compassion to show people that Jesus, uh, show people Jesus and that God's with us. I'm going to end with a story that I've shared before quite a few years ago, uh, but it maybe gives some ideas. So there, was, there was a high school football game a few years back uh, between Faith Christian High School from Grapevine, Texas, and Gainesville State School uh, and, uh, there in Texas. And like the kingdom of God itself, everything was upside down. For instance, when, when Gainesville came out and took the field, the Faith fans made a 40-yard uh, spirit line for them to run through with a banner, Go Tornadoes, on it. Uh, and then 200 of the Faith fans sat on the Gainesville side uh, and cheered for the players by name. And even though Faith won the game 33-14, to 14, the Gainesville kids were so happy after the game that they, they took their squirt bottles uh, and uh, showered their coach, Mark Williams, just like they'd won the state, though their season ended with a great 0-9 record. Now, why? Well, that's because Gainesville State School is a, a school of 290 males. They're ages 12 to 90 uh, correctional facilities, 75 miles north of Dallas. The 14 players on the team had earned their spots by serving at, at least half their sentence, having passing grades, uh, and not having any, getting in any trouble. 
uh, in, in the place. And every game's a road game for the Tornadoes. The only uh, fans they ever have are the fans that go with them, which is usually just some faculty and staff. So what made this game different was that the Faith Christian High School's coach and athletic director, Chris Hogan, uh, wanted to make a difference in their lives. And we already knew who would win. After all that, Gainesville had 14 players. Faith was 7-2 and going into the game. Gainesville was 0-8 and scored two touchdowns all season. Faith had 70 players, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and involved parents. Gainesville had those 14 players with convictions for drugs, assault, robbery. Many of their families had disowned them. Uh, Their shoulder pads were seven years old and their helmets even older. So Hogan had the idea, what if half our fans for one night only would cheer for the other team? And he sent out an email asking him to do this. He said, here's the message I want you to send. You are just as valuable as any other person on planet Earth. So some people were confused. One of the players asked, why are we doing this? Here's what he said. Imagine if you didn't have a home life. Imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you. Now imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. And so the next thing you know, you got the players on that team turning around and surprised to hear fans cheering for them by name, surprised to have cheerleaders, the JV cheerleaders from faith. Players were confused. Why are they cheering for us? One of the players said this, we can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to the games. You can see it in their eyes. They look at us as if we're criminals, but these people, they were yelling for us by our names. So maybe figures they played better than they played all season. They scored the last two touchdowns, although by that time the third string nose guard for the other team was playing safety and uh, third string cornerback was playing defensive end. Um, Sort of like the time of game I used to get to play. Uh, But anyway, uh, but after the game, they gathered in the middle of the field to pray. And that's when Isaiah, one of the Gainesville players, asked if he could lead. They weren't sure what he would say, but here's what he said. Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. So they walked back to the bus, handed a bag for the ride, burger, fries, Soda, candy, a Bible, and a letter from one of the faith players. And the Gainesville coach saw Hogan and grabbed me and said, you'll never know what your people did for these kids tonight. You'll never, ever know. And writer Rick Riley commented this way. Maybe it applies this year. When the economy is six feet under and Christmas is running on three and a half reindeer, Maybe Christmas delivery, all right. It's nice to know that one of the best presents you can give is still absolutely free. Hope. But friends, it's not just hope for the sake of giving hope. That's not going to be very long-lasting. What motivated Chris Hogan to show this compassion was the love, a model of Christ. So our world today does seem quite dark. We've got to be faithful to be incarnational in our ministry, to live out the gospel as we engage God's world uh, so that people walking in darkness see the light of Jesus in us. And they turn to him in repentance 
and in faith and in exaltation. We don't want to just say, our gracious God, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that Jesus is that living word and that he showed us what ministry is to be like. Father, he lived it out. So Lord, encourage us to do just that this month. Father, looking for ways to show compassion them his around us, to show them Jesus, to show them there's anybody here that doesn't love, that they might come to know him. Father, earth is coming. Father, also his cross, that he would die for us there. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.